thank you everyone for joining us today for another edition of my podcast series. Today we're going to do something a little bit outside the box and not talk directly about markets or the economy, but take a look at financial security. And to do that, I'm joined today by Special Agent Mylon Kasanovich of the FBI. Hi, Mylon. Hi, Mark. Let me give some background on Mylon so everyone who's listening knows who they're, they're listening to. Mylon's been with the FBI for over nine years focused on white-collar crimes. He's a Syracuse University and Georgetown graduate. He served within the Commodities Futures Trading Commission and a supervisor in the Complex Financial Crimes Unit down at FBI headquarters. He's lectured all over the world on behalf of the FBI, and he's currently assigned to the White Collar Crime Squad in Cleveland, and he's a member of the Nationwide Corporate Fraud Response Team and a certified FBI hostage negotiator. So if everything goes fine today, I'm hoping you're not using those skills. Yes, yes. Uh, so, Mylon, thank you for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Mylon, I, I guess the best place to start is in light of recent news just on the Equifax situation and, and help us understand what actually happened. And, and I think from there, give the people who are listening some thoughts on how they can best protect themselves and their identity. Yeah, no, sure. I think that's a, that's a great place to start. And, um, you know, just I have to put in my little disclaimer that yeah. I, I'm very happy to be here. We always like to be able to provide... Um, you know, resource education to folks to protect them in terms of investing. Being here doesn't uh, serve as any kind of um, endorsement of any companies or anything that gets mentioned, uh, but we're happy to, to be here and help uh, in, in any way we can. In terms of the Equifax breach, it's a big deal because uh, it involves people's personal data, right? There's three credit reporting agencies in the country, uh, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, and all of them are utilized by anybody who lends money. Um, they're going to hit up one of those three people whenever you want to uh, get a loan in some way, shape, or form. So I'm going to buy a car. I, I want a loan. Exactly. The Honda dealership's going to call one of those three people. Exactly. And so what they have is they have a lot of your personal information on file, right? How much money you make usually. Um, they've got where your other loans are. They've got name, date of birth, address, social security number. And those are the things I think people are most scared about um, that are now out there as a result of this uh, hack because that kind of stuff can then be utilized by fraudsters, scammers, people that I deal with on a daily basis in my world um, to potentially defraud folks. But there are some protections that, that um, everybody can do out there to just make their accounts a little bit safer and make it more difficult for those people to victimize them. So, so what are those things? What should people be doing? Well, um, the first thing that I would... Uh, suggest is you have the ability to go in and freeze your credit reports at any point in time. If you're not somebody that has a consistent need for credit, um, you know, most people don't buy a brand new car every year or every three months and they're not opening a new credit card every two weeks, right? Uh, you can freeze your credit depending on what state you're in for between five or ten dollars, period. If you do that, you, you go to all three credit reporting agencies, then nobody can take out new credit in your name. All right, great. So and even if you've got to reach out to those three people and say, hey, Lock my account. Right. So you go individually to Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. You fill out a little form. You create your own personalized PIN number. And then that means that um, the only people from that point on that can see your credit reports are the people who have already lent you money and you, right? Okay. And then any government entity that... Does it hurt my credit if I do that? It does not hurt at all. Actually, I, I can tell you from personal experience, having um, shopped at a number of the stores that were involved in hacks, having been... Uh, I work for the government. My information was all stolen a few years ago. Um... I have all my credit reports frozen because then that I know that nobody can go and open new credit in my name. Got it. Okay. Um, so that that that's a first easy step. It it it's a nice little security blanket. It doesn't prevent any like all problems in the future, but it's a great start because you know no new money isn't going to be at risk in your name. 
Um, the second thing that, that's really important is changing your passwords. And the reason being is now folks, if some uh, bad person did get a hold of that data from the Equifax breach or other breaches out there, they now know, let's say, for example, that I have a loan at XYZ Bank. So they may try to use um, some social engineering with, uh, with that information to, to kind of guess your password. Um, they may just have uh, algorithms, which is usually the case, to go through and just keep spitting out combinations until it hits on the right one. Um, that got, so there's a couple things with the whole, the whole password thing, right? You want to change them so that um, a, a, after the breaches, you don't want any, you want to just protect yourself, right? It's a first level of security. Second level is the idea that when you do a new password, the old um, guidance that used to kind of be out there was like, have a weird character, a capital letter, that's, that's, that's not, that's no longer good. That's not the best uh, solution. If you have, uh, let's say I used the word uh, orange and I had an at sign in the middle and a zero at the front and 44 at the end is my password, that's all well and good. I may forget, like, wait a minute, is it a zero or a capital O? Like, how, how did I do this? Well, um, it's a little difficult for me to remember, you know, at the same time a computer can pack that, I think it's in like less than three days. Whereas if you pick four random letters, let's say, or four, four random words, right, that wouldn't be together, like. Uh, correct horse staple glue, something like that, right? No, there's no rhyme or reason no, for that right, collection. Right. That's going to take a computer algorithm, at least the ones that exist now, over 500 years to hack. So which password would you rather have? The one that a computer could knock through in three days or the one that would take 500 years? So old rule th uh, the new rule of thumb really is length is important um, and just worry about having four random words. I think I, I would use that as a guiding principle. Pick four random words that you can remember. Right. Um, and use a little mental picture, but that, that will prevent any kind of um, computer program from going through and breaking into uh, your password from guessing. Because you're just going to make combinations to a point where the computer can't get there. Right. It's just going to take too long, and they're not going to waste their time on you. Got it. So let me test around a question. Um, how do you know if someone's using your credit? Um, so that, that's a very good question. There's a couple of ways you can um, you know, be advised that. First things first, there is actually a website out there that was put together, I think, by a Microsoft engineer called Have I Been Pwned, and it's uh, P-W-N-E-D, and you can throw your email address into it. It doesn't ask for anything else. If So if you go somewhere else and they ask for anything else, don't do it. But you can put your email address in there and then see what hacks your email has been involved in, which should give you a suggestion that if it pops up in anything, you probably want to you know, make sure you've changed your passwords. In terms of knowing whether or not people are using your credit or have done credit, there is a law that was passed, I think, in 2003 that gave every American citizen the right to access their credit report uh, from each agency once per year. So the best thing that you can do, I can tell you, like what I do, is I'll go to the FTC.gov website, the Federal Trade Commission, and they have a link on there to the actual website where you can then uh, request your credit reports. You get three a year, make it every four months where you just go in, pull up one of the reporting agencies. Now more often than not, they all have the same stuff. There might be a slight differences, but they should be similar. And you can pull up and see, okay, has anybody, is there anything on my credit report that I don't recognize, I don't see? Um, so and, there's a loan out here that I don't remember having anything to do with. Exactly. And if I'm doing that on a four-month basis, or even at the very least yearly basis, then I'm going to be on top of it. I'm not going to find out about it five years down the line when um, somebody has taken out a loan in, in my name and then defaulted on it. So that you and it doesn't cost anything, right? It's a way to keep track and be on top of what um, 
what's going on with your credit. And I sort of alluded to this before, and this may just be something that I have in my head that's incorrect, but if you're running your credit report, does that impact your credit nope. score? Nope, not at all. It, um, you have the right to do that, and, and really, like, the impact on credit scores, little things like that, inc uh, inquiries from places, they don't, they're only small little five-point hits. Um, it's really not going to have a ton of effect, um, and doing your own run uh, won't have any effect on it. Got it. So if I go back to my desk or go home tonight and go onto the FTC and run my Equifax and get my credit report and everything looks great on that, fine, I'm, I'm good for the next four months, then yeah. I can run it again. And that has had no adverse effect on me because I looked at it. Because they want you to, they want to encourage you to be able to go do that. they want to catch it, right? Got it. And I will add one last thing yeah. I didn't mention in the passwords is a lot of, um, things now offer two-factor authentication. Uh, most people would think of this as you typing in your email, or you type in your, let's say, your username or whatever it is, then you type in your password. It'll give you the opportunity to have like a code sent to your phone, something like that. Right. Um, that is another level of security. Uh, the one thing they now, we now suggest, the SMS ones can be somewhat spoofed. There are all kinds of what they call authenticators on your phone. Um, and you can do some research on them, but it, it's really pretty convenient. They they switch the pair of numbers every 30 seconds, makes it virtually impossible for somebody to get through into your account. So, so this may be a naive question, but there, there's so much focus on passwords today and changing them and second level authentication, just kind of living my life. It's become a, a, a nuisance. Truthfully. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, but from where you sit and what you know, mm -hmm. given your seat, how much of this stuff is out there that... I should actually feel good that I'm being uh, annoyed to take the extra minute or two. Yeah, no, you, you really should feel good about taking that time to do the extra minute or two. Uh, if you if you go onto the dark web, um, you, you could be on the dark web uh, via a Tor browser in five, ten minutes and start surfing around in dark markets and see what's available out there for people selling um, credit card information, PII, things like that. And it's enough to make you go, okay, yep, I, I'm going to take that extra step. Because at the end of the day, um, most of these folks, they're going to take the path of least resistance, right? Um, they want to get the easiest path they have to illegal money. If they have to do a lot of extra work to spoof this or do that or try to, they're just going to move on. Um, and we want to make it as difficult as possible as uh, uh, consumers for people to have to try to get access to things that would get them money. It, it sounds silly, but it's a, a story my father-in-law tells about when his house was broken into. He said the, the cops said to him, get a dog, because if a dog barks, yeah. they'll just go to the next house where they don't have to deal with the dog. It's just not worth the trouble. It's so the path you, of least resistance. It's the path of least resistance is, is critical in all of this, yeah. in protecting yourself. It, it, speaking about protection, you, you've talked to me before about, I don't know if I'm defining this right, but who has the liability? So we talked about credit cards, sure. debit cards, or, or things now electronically are linked to your bank account, or your Starbucks is linked to your credit card. How do we think about that in a world where I can basically take out my phone and pay for half of what I do? Yeah, no, and, and that's a question we get a lot, and it's a very good one. Uh, I think the most basic thing is re remember whatever vehicle you're paying with, whether it be um, some kind of app on your phone linked to uh, uh, a payment system, or a credit card, a physical card that you're using, uh, who the ultimate um, entity that's paying, right? So if you use a credit card, you're using that bank's money to make the transaction, and then you pay the bank back, right? So, so Visa or MasterCard or American Express is actually paying, and then I owe them. Well, it's actually the bank that issues the, the bank card, bank. right? Yeah. Um, so you, you owe them, right? right. Um, whereas, let's say if I go out with my debit card, uh, that is directly linked to my bank account. So 
let's use the example because this happens a lot in a uh, like a, at a gas station. Yep. Um, they're notorious for uh, uh, fraudsters will sometimes try to put what they call skimmers on the the uh, where you swipe your card. Yep. So if I swipe my credit card uh, on there and it pulls off the information for a um, scammer and they clone my credit card number and try to use that later on. Um, the credit card companies usually are pretty good about fraud detection. Um, you'll get sometimes those alerts that come to you that yep. say, hey, look, is this, have you gotten, have, was this you making this purchase here? And sometimes I've gotten and go, no, that's actually not me. And, and so they have good fraud uh, protection teams. If something does happen, almost all those credit um, card contracts put zero fraud liability on you, that the bank will deal with it and address it. If I use my debit card, that goes right into my bank account, right? So if a fraudster gets that information off the debit card and they use it, I've got to be on guard because the bank really doesn't care about what I'm doing in and out of my account. It's like my balance sheet, not the bank's. Right. right. So they're not looking to see and say like, oh, you know what? Um, you know, you made a purchase at uh, ABC store in New York City at 2 p.m. and then you used the same card for a um, a gas station purchase in Jacksonville, Florida, 30 minutes later, like. A credit card companies going to go, wait, that doesn't make sense. But because the bank, they're not in charge of monitoring what transactions you have in there uh, to that so degree. Spend time to so they're not going to catch it. Right. And, it's, and it's on you to catch it, which means that if you end up using a card linked directly to your bank account, then that's your money out of your pocket that is now at issue. And you're going to have to go through a pro an extra process with your bank. And there may be a possibility, depending on how um, the fraud protection works, you either might not get it back because you have the liability or it's going to take a considerable amount of time. It's not worth the risk. So the suggestion usually is, hey, look, if you're going to do things, um, use, a, use a credit card, use cash. Those two things, the fraud liability is not going to be on you, right? right. And um, that, that, that's a way to protect yourself. And then if you're using any kind of online payment processing system or app-based system, the same thing applies, right? Don't link it directly to your bank account. Link it to a credit card because then you're linking it to something where you have that built-in fraud protection um, because of the way that the, the, the card processes. The payment yeah. structure is. So over your years at the FBI, have you seen a change in the types of cyber crimes and securities crimes? And are there trends that people should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's kind of interesting. We have Ponzi schemes have existed since the 1920s uh, when Mr. Ponzi himself uh, essentially initiated them. Um, so we see some things that just never go out of style. Uh, the other flip side of that is we still have folks that um, are always going to be on the the leading edge of trying to take advantage of what um, what's coming next, right? So uh, if you haven't heard things like binary options, uh, initial coin offerings, contracts for difference, those are things that are, are kind of hip new uh, financial instruments that get touted by folks and there's very little oversight into what's going on um, and that's the kind of stuff where people, you know, tech, virtual currency, that kind of things, people uh, they, they tap into the fear of not wanting to miss out on a, a hot new industry, but there's very little oversight into it. So you, you've got to really have your own due diligence and be very comfortable in what you're putting your money towards in those those industries in terms of um, making sure you're not going to be subject to some kind of fraud. So what kind of due diligence did someone do who's sitting at home and hears about an investment opportunity or banking? What should they be thinking about? No, and I mean, that's a great question because I sometimes people just – they, they don't do just the minimal steps, right? So, I mean, the very first thing is 
type in whatever you're looking in at, whether you're, it's a person you're dealing with, um, an investment opportunity, just type in the word uh, into a search engine, put the word scam after it and see if anything pops up or people blog posted about it. The other thing is... Uh, it's such an easy one. You don't even it is, and, and a lot of people don't do it, and I, I get it. I understand where it comes from. Um, on the flip side, we've got different... Uh, entities within the U.S. that are set up to help protect investors, the National Futures Association, um, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FINRA, and the NFA are both set up to protect folks who are um, to make sure that you know that when you're dealing with um, commodities or stocks or whatnot, you're dealing with people who are licensed, knowledgeable, they have an understanding of the securities industry, they understand their fiduciary duties, and you can also go through and see have they had any disputes? So for FINRA example, if you're dealing with something in the securities industry, you can go on to FINRA and go to their broker check and type in the name of whoever you're dealing with and it will bring up, all right, yeah, hey. Um, You'll find out more about me than you right. ever wanted to. Hey, here's when you pass these exams. Here are any disputes, that kind of stuff. Here are the states he works in. Exactly. So you know right away, okay, they've met those minimum thresholds. This industry, um, you know, those two entities are actually private uh, entities that that regulate their respective industries, they um, they keep they're very uh, attuned to wanting to be on top of what's going on in their industry, and they're responsive to consumer complaints. So that, that those are two real just simple basic steps that I think sometimes people don't do to go um, to 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 do that first step in, in considering an investment. Beyond the people who are listening protecting themselves, I, I guess one of the questions I have is when you guys find out about schemes or crimes. Probably one and the same. Where do most of those leads, I don't know if that's the right term, come from? Do they come from disgruntled employees? Do they come from people who have lost their money? Do they come, how do, how do they surface? Yeah, no, so th that's a great question. There's a number of different ways that they happen. Um, we always say if you've been victimized in any way, shape, or form, please contact us because a lot of them do come that way. They come through and say, hey, look, I gave this guy a million dollars. Here's what I was told. Here's what actually happened. Um, so that is one of the big sources. We have a couple of other ones. I can't get into specifics as, hey, look, this is what it is. But we have ways of um, of checking through and monitoring certain um, like batch transactions. Like this is kind of fishy. Fishy. Like why, why would this doesn't match up with with what's uh, really going on? Um, and the other thing too is it, it, we, we do some you know bigger analysis in terms of like, hey, there was a lot of money moved here, here, and here. This is kind of indicative of some reporting we get from um, some sources that we have telling us X, Y, and Z. So we have a lot of different ways, but the biggest way is when victims come forward and say, hey, look, something that looks bad is going on, and don't be afraid to do it, right? Even if it's not, uh, it ends up being nothing. Um, sometimes we're real familiar with it, and we'll get a call, and we'll, oh, actually, we know what that is. Um, you know, here's how to protect yourself. Uh, it's actually not problematic, or it is, and we're looking at it. So um, it's a bunch of different ways, but if people do have a problem, it's either come to your local FBI office, or uh, there's a website we have called uh, IC3, so it's the Internet Crime Complaint Center. So it's literally www.ic, and then the number 3.gov, and you can fill out information that comes directly to us. Um, any other general tips that you would give people? Yeah, I think the other uh, thing is um, more uh, Wi-Fi, right? Um, we all live in a, a world with our smartphones and Wi-Fi. Uh, if you're staying in a hotel somewhere, if, if you don't have a virtual private network app on your phone, um, consider getting one because you never know. I can go through when I see the Wi-Fi networks pop up and I can see ones that potentially are spoofed. Like if some guy has decided to rent a, a hotel room and just sit and put some computer equipment in there and set up his own Wi-Fi network so that any guests 
logging in, um, it may look like the actual hotel's website because the name of the network is really similar to the actual name of the network. Yeah, but you know what? What um, what helps? I'm shaking my head because this is just terrifying. I'm yeah, yeah. And, and look, and it's not like every hotel you check in. It does, it's a very small, minuscule number. But if you're on a, on a VPN and a virtual private network, it makes it much more difficult for folks to access into to what you're doing. So it's just an extra level of security. So if I'm somewhere where I, I'm on an open Wi-Fi network that's unfamiliar, it's not my home network, I will go, I'll have a little app on my phone that has VPN on it, and I'll turn it on, and then it'll route my stuff through somewhere else, and it just gives that one little extra layer of security. What's, um, as we're starting to wrap up, I, I'm curious to what a typical day is for you are an agent in in your division. No, the best thing about our job, and it sounds a little bit cliche, is that we, we don't have typical days. Um, I like to sometimes joke that our bad guys work banker's hours because I work white-collar crime, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you when you introduced me, you noted um, we all have collateral duties. You could be uh, somebody that's on our evidence response team. You could be one of our SWAT guys. You could be a bomb tech. Um, you could be a hostage negotiator like I am. So... Then you have extra responsibilities. So there are some days that uh, I'll have a week where one of the days I'm going to be spend all day over at the U.S. Attorney's office in a, a suit and tie, talking with lawyers and um, people that we're uh, we're interviewing as part of a um, uh, an investigation. The next day I could be up at four o'clock in the morning out doing an arrest as a member of the hostage um, negotiation team to make sure you know nothing. Uh, bad is going on. Then I could be out traveling somewhere to go do some interviews in terms of investigation. Then there's a day that I'm going to be sitting going through bank records and trying to uh, do an analysis of, of what's going on uh, in there. I think it's the best part of my job. I get to do a lot of fun different things. I get to go out and talk to people. Um, do it sounds like things. you share information, right? That you'll talk to other nations' regulators, you'll talk to yeah. banks, it, not for investigative purposes, but for like best practices. Yeah, sure. and, and really, like it, it's it's like any industry, right? If we're not doing that kind of stuff, especially us, right? We're in the service of uh, the people in the U.S. Like our job is to try to protect our citizens from being victimized in a number of different ways. In the FBI, we have a huge um, mandate um, to do that. But in the world that I, I'm in, um, you know, we go out and do things like this. We want to educate. I'd much rather have somebody hear something that somebody like myself or, or one of my colleagues has to say and go, oh, okay, I'm going to go back and do that or I'm going to protect myself against this and avoid becoming a victim of fraud so that they don't end up, um, you know, somebody that we have to deal with down the line a as a victim. So, And if something doesn't make sense to someone who goes and does that, right, they look yeah. at this cast or they hear one of your colleagues and they type in XYZ scam and there's blog posts that don't add up, I guess the recommendation is pick up the phone and call. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and we've talked about this before. It, it, sometimes it's real simple things like, hey, uh, I'm just going to go here in person and, and meet, the, meet the people I'm talking to in person and see if, if really where they say they are, they are. And we see that now in, in these global schemes that I've been dealing with where they claim to be based in London and New York when actually they're in a completely different country, um, but it's all, it's all done online so nobody knows any difference. They can get a phone number associated with whatever country codes that they have. But sometimes just being able to show up at an office and say, oh, okay, like, you know, this – the pictures on the website show like all these massive um, trading floors and all this, and it's actually just like one guy in a rental office. Something's not right. Yeah, so it doesn't doesn't match up. What where where's the disconnect here? Um, so I think sometimes just the the little things like that, if it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up because it doesn't feel right, trust yeah. your gut. Right? It's 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 not worth um, it's 
you're worth missing out on you know a potential windfall than losing all your money. You want to make sure that you feel comfortable in what you're doing. Mon, I appreciate the time. I think a lot of this was some great advice, and I uh, look forward to talking with you soon. Thank yeah. you for joining. Thanks for having me.